the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the second hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Good to be with you for more ongoing conversations in the, what I call, year of the school boards. We've spent a lot of time on school board races here on this program, and it's because so many people are really laser-focused on what's happening in education right now as we see student achievement cratering and not recovering well in many school districts, and as we see issues like school safety deteriorating. And we have seen this on display nowhere more in Colorado in the past couple of years than in Denver public schools with multiple school shootings on or near campuses with weapons showing up in schools with a disciplined matrix that is woefully incapable of ensuring that staff have the tools and the resources and the wherewithal to get the job done when it comes to holding kids accountable, and that ties directly into safety. So much to talk about on the program, as we also see, of course, a very dysfunctional school board in Denver Public Schools. That's why I'm pleased to be joined this morning by candidate for the at-large school board. Did I say city council? School board race. Currently held, the seat currently held by Tay Anderson, who is now outgoing and not running for re-election. John Youngquist joins me here on the program. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm well, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the discussion. Let me start big picture. Who is John Youngquist and why are you running for the Denver School Board at large? Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, So I'm a, a Denver kid, went through Denver Public Schools um, had a, a, a hard time through school to a degree with nine schools in 12 years and four schools through the high school years. I um, was a teacher in the Denver Public Schools, uh, dean of students um, in uh, the Cherry Creek Schools. I have been um, a principal over the course of 18 years in the midst of a 35-year career serving youth in Denver. I was an elementary school principal for eight of those years, a high school principal for 10. I've worked as a director of principal talent management, getting people ready for that job, and an assistant superintendent in Denver, and a chief academic officer in the Aurora Public Schools with Superintendent uh, Rico Money when he went in there. And so I have a, a long career, a broad career, career have, have really worked in most of the areas of responsibility in public education, have demonstrated success in regard to academic results, which has been the, the main focus of my interest over the course of those years. And um, I'm ready to, to move into the school board because I see the work that needs to be done. Let's go right into the academics piece then, since you mentioned it, John Youngquist, because I'm looking here at the CMAS scores most recent, and I am seeing that DPS is still 
two and a half percentage points below its 2019 metric before the pandemic, and two and a half, and that would be in both uh, English and actually and in mathematics in both of those cases. To me, that is an abysmal show of the percentage that have met or exceeded expectations, those who are proficient. That means that 60%, in this case, it is 40%, 40 40.3% of students are proficient in English, and 30.3% of students in DPS are proficient in math, meaning 60% are not proficient in English, and 30% not proficient in mathematics. That is, I think, unacceptable, and so many parents are clamoring for better a focus on academics. Yeah, as a school district, we failed in that responsibility over time. There are different schools that have done different work that have represented some strengths. But one of the challenges that I see, Jimmy, is that as a school district and as uh, a superintendent, we're also representing that we are meeting our academic goals. If you take a look at the annual report that the school district sent out just a few weeks ago, it represents it. It takes a look at aggregate data. It has the numbers that you're talking about, and there are starbursts saying that we've met that goal. And next year, um, the goal is 1% bigger. We're likely to meet that one, too. Um, the first challenge is that we're not acknowledging where we are not good in this work. And there are plenty of areas where we're not good in this work. You mentioned the pandemic. That was a little, that was a big shift for us, right? That was a big challenge. I was a high school principal leading a school online, and it's not something we had ever done before. We experienced a lot of failure, although we tried really hard, and we have a lot of work to do right now to make up the student learning that was lost for our students during that time, and we haven't seen the action in that space. One of the things that I'll note is that what you'll hear from the school district around what the response to the pandemic was, was that we hired an outside organization to try and support our students, and we paid them based on those results. But really, there isn't much else that you can identify that our school district has done, um, aside from teachers really trying to grind it out in the classroom, and they need a lot more support than they've gotten, Jimmy. So let's talk a little bit more about solutions. What do you actually do, especially from your 18 years of experience as a principal at both the middle and high school levels? What do you actually do to right the ship, especially at a school level? But what can the school board do in terms of providing what is needed, whether it's policy changes, whether it's resources, what have you, to make a difference? Yeah, like one of the challenges that occurred a couple of few years ago was we did give resources to schools, but really did not hold uh, schools to a level of accountability in terms of the use of those resources, how they needed to be used, and whether they were going to make a difference uh, for academic outcomes over time. And so uh, right now it would be difficult to find out how those resources were applied and what results were brought about. As a school principal, uh, the first thing that I do is take a look at where exactly are my students with academic achievement right now. What strengths do we have? What are the glaring challenges that we have? And then how do we get together as a staff and solve for the problems that we have? What do we need to learn to do differently? If it is literacy, people talk about the science of literacy. There's a lot of decades-long practices that weren't exactly the right practices that were being tried. And what do we need to learn differently? What new resources do we have to have in the classrooms? And how is it that we're providing the time and space for teachers to work together to solve for their students? Another school-based need is that we have not drawn in our families to help solve this problem. No, it is a, it's a teaching and learning issue in the classroom, but we need for families to help us create the focus with their students that we need, we need, we need to really dive in to the kind of learning that takes place across the board 
you got to take a look at where we are with, with reading, writing, with math, with science, to take a look at where have we um, represented gaps. And do we have the curricular resources? Do we have the training uh, to be able to recover and accelerate learning from where we are right now? And I think right now schools feel left alone in that space. There's not a strategic response across the district that says, here are the ways that we know best to accelerate learning with students. Try these practices. We'll support you. We'll invest with you. We'll provide the training. And we want to see the results. Now, at a board level, um, and as a, a director, the at-large director of the Board of Education, I have a responsibility to ensure that students across the district in every corner of every classroom are catching up, that we're doing the work that accelerates their experience over time, and we see the results over time that show that the work is paying off. What I need to do um, with a board, and this is a particular challenge with the current board, with this, uh, part of the shift that we need to, to make is that we have a board that understands our job is to make certain that we have the superintendent that is engaging the work that needs to be done to improve learning outcomes for students. I, as a board member, am able to direct, along with my cadre, with my team, right? And we will have a team with me on the board that is able to come together as four um, or five votes to say, superintendent, here is our biggest priority. Here are distinct goals that we have for learning in each one of the content areas. Here are some of the resources that our people need. Um, you tell us more what they need. We will hold you accountable to make certain that teachers and principals yeah. are getting what they're needing to, to continue the work. So a part of that is in the classroom, and that's the big part of the work that I'm talking about. A part of that is beyond the classroom in terms of family supports and parent supports. A part of that is beyond the classroom in terms of extending the days, in terms of making certain that the students have time to get the work done that they need to that draws their learning forward. Speaking of holding the superintendent accountable, I am reading here from the press release from the Denver Public Schools, John Youngquist, candidate for at-large school board. Dr. Marrero, that's the superintendent, received a weighted score of 81.1% in his evaluation. This means Dr. Marrero is entitled to a 2.5% performance pay bonus, which equals $8,235 pre-tax. This is not a raise and does not impact Dr. Marrero's base pay. Now, he did just get a raise, I think, and a, a form of encouragement to try and say, hey, we want to keep you with all the dysfunction going on. And then that included these performance pay bonuses. A lot of folks will look at these metrics and will look at school safety. And while there are SROs that have come back, there are still and we'll get into school safety issues and the discipline matrix in a moment. Mm -hmm. There are still mm -hmm. staggering discipline issues and other things that have amped up so many parents. And so for so many, it seems like these pay bonuses and raises that have gone to the superintendent and are tone deaf and out of touch. Uh, what do you make of this? What is your take on Marrero so far, especially as someone who could be an incoming board member in just over a month? Yeah, Jimmy, I, I think this is symptomatic of the dysfunction of the board, but also of the dysfunction of the board to be able to run an organization in the basics of an organization relate to how you are employing your people and how you are evaluating and motivating and being real with your people about what they're doing well and what they're doing wrong. The one person that the board has to supervise is the superintendent and the superintendent is being supervised in a way that we wouldn't allow other employees to be supervised. So to have an employee that is here for almost two and a half years over the course of that time, um, has had two contract extensions, one really significant raise, 
um, and now a, a, a you know a, a pay for performance uh, bonus um, over to the course of that time, not having had an evaluation until this last week when he really, when he uh, gained the, the bonus, is a, an unbelievable uh, you know practice. Uh, what we need to do is make certain that we are, as a board, getting together and defining what the work of the superintendent is, monitoring that over time, providing incentives that are in response to actual growth, actual growth of our students in regard to learning outcomes primarily, and that is not something that we have seen. Um, my perspective on the superintendent is that he's not a leader that has yet shown the ability to identify a real challenge, like we're talking about with academic achievement, to identify where are we bad, what is the specific work that we do to ensure that our students are learning more and our teachers and principals have what they need, and also in safety through the same frame. Um, we've seen significant problems. We haven't seen him as a leader own those problems and take action to ensure the safety of our students and our staff at school sites. So one of the big failures that we've seen um, in the superintendent in this uh, senior leadership uh, space is that we identify a problem. It's an obvious problem, but you're not taking that on as a responsibility in making the change uh, that we're required to make to see the growth and improvement that our schools need, that our students need. One thing that ties in, I believe, with academic achievement very much and is crucial is if a school is failing in the just simply in the minds of the parents of a child, that that family should be able to move their kid or kids to a different school, yeah. to have robust school choice options. Now, Denver does a pretty good job in terms of having innovation schools and charter schools and so forth, various options, but, uh, you know, you need to continue, in my view, to be robustly supporting those options and opportunities, and there have been efforts to scale that back to some extent. Uh, what's your take on school choice and the ability for parents to make decisions as to where their kids go to school? Yeah, our, our current board has worked to limit school choice and has not worked toward another vision for our school district that is about improving um, all schools. Uh, my understanding, because I've seen this evolve from, from day one with charters and innovation schools, is that right now we have a context that is about half district-run schools in about a third um, charter schools and the rest innovation status schools. We have 30,000 students in our district that attend charter schools. We have a responsibility to make certain that every school, no matter the type of school that a student attends, that a parent is committed to, is supported and grows and is most effective. People ask me, do we need more charter schools? We need more. What's your interest? We don't have the resource to talk about more schools. Our responsibility is to identify what is it that represents that a school is effective. How do we have um, a playing field across the board that allows schools to meet bars of expectation that we have as a school district? We have to define those levels of expectation. We need to support schools in their growth. And through that, I mean every school that our students attend. So it's not that I am agnostic or not understanding about different school types. I am valuing the context that we're in right now, and I'm responsible for making every every school stronger for every student across the district. So we just had a candidate for Aurora Public Schools, and I think Aurora has 38,000 kids total. 
uh, from what he was telling me. You just said 30,000 kids are in charter schools in DPS. That, to me, is significant and really underscores that you have parents who, and only parents are going to be the ones who look out for the best interest of their kids. Teachers do the best they can for however many students that they have, but they're not the parents who have the responsibility for each kid when they come home from school and for their futures and, and so forth. So to me, this is underscoring just how significant in Denver you have with parents wanting to make that decision. That's right. So we need to, we need to listen to parents and understand the interests that they have and strengthen all the schools based on the good work that is being done, learn from each other, and then make certain, again, right now we don't have a way to define whether a school is effective or not in Denver. Uh, we pulled back what we call a school performance framework a couple of years ago. This is the kind of thing that the, the school board has done over the course of time. We pulled back and stopped doing things without replacing them with better practice. So we've defaulted right now to the state school performance framework, which is doesn't represent everything that DPS wants to represent about their schools. That is absolutely and completely focused on student outcomes, mm-hmm. which is reasonable, and that needs to be a part of the message and understanding of what makes an effective school. We need to commit to a school perform- performance framework within the context of our district that we believe in and that allows us to understand which schools are strong in which areas, which have to grow in which areas, where is it that parents are feeling and understanding a level of confidence that may be different than other places. John Youngquist joining us. He is running to fill the at-large seat for the Denver School Board being vacated by Tay Anderson. We're going to take a break. On the other side, let's talk about school safety, discipline, and district transparency as we continue on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. With the best damn bumper music known to man, more than 10 years running, it's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710, KNUS. Joe Bonamassa singing a great tune about how it's hard, but it's fair. And that is what is needed in our school districts across the state, including, I would say most especially these days, the largest school district in Colorado, Denver Public Schools. It's hard to hold folks accountable from the superintendent on down to the teachers. It's hard to enforce student discipline and school safety, but it is fair. They talk a lot about equity in education. All the time we hear that. Equity generally means, by real definition, fairness, and that means making sure that you have equal opportunity for kids, You have folks who are treated equally when it comes to issues of discipline and issues of how you hold teachers accountable. And that, I think, helps to set a little bit of the premise for this part of our discussion with John Youngquist. He is a candidate for the Denver Public Schools Board of Education, the at-large seat being vacated by Tay Anderson. Uh, John Youngquist, former principal for 18 years, including at East High School. Let's talk about school safety Because when we look at what has happened with the shootings on and near campuses, when we see the guns and other weapons that are coming onto school grounds, we see, of course, what happened back in March at your uh, old stomping grounds in East at East High School for yourself as a principal. I think you got kids there now. What do you make of the current state of affairs with school safety, especially now that we have school resource officers back on a, bunch, a number of uh, high school campuses. 
Yeah, I would say that right now, um, our, our, our students generally feel safe. Our teachers generally feel safe. What they are unsure of is why that's the case. Why is it different than last year? And if it is different, it is, from my perspective, momentary. And we're in a place where principals and teachers are holding it together without a district strategy that works in regard to safety, without district support and work. That, uh, that allows for our teachers and principals to do the best work in preparing to make certain that we have safe environments and to be responsive when students don't do things that we wish that they would do. So the work has not been done. I think we're starting to see some of the really more violent behaviors come about with students again as we're getting into the school year. Last year, we saw a significant increase in them. You're right, I have two kids at East High School. And I was brokenhearted through last year when we saw the violent acts that occurred, when we saw um, children die, when we saw adults shot, when we saw my children finding me in the park, really scared and concerned and wondering, how did we get to this place? Well, we got to this place because of work that was not done at the district site, responsibilities that were not taken care of. A couple of years ago, you had left DPS and you went into consulting with uh, Principal Ed. And I don't know how much you could speak to the actual report because it had been leaked out to the yeah. media. But uh, Principal Ed was brought in to um, conduct a review of school safety issues and discipline issues in the district. A fairly comprehensive report. I have read through it, and it identifies a number of areas of concern, some of which you were talking about. When we look at school safety, it's not just about having school resource officers on campus grounds, especially when you only have, what, I think like seven schools uh, that have SROs on those campus grounds. It is about providing uh, uh, armed security when you can and setting up discipline. We'll talk more about that and and other steps. What do you think are necessary, especially from your review with Principal Ed Consulting and so forth, to improve school safety at a real level? Yeah, so I spent about 160 hours listening to principals and their safety teams and central people as well about what they have and what they don't yet have to make certain that their schools are safe. And when that full report is made public, it's 33 pages of notations and and recommendations from schools and from best practices across the country of things that a school district needs to be doing to ensure the safety of its students across the district and within specific school sites. What we'll see and understand is that we right now are scratching the surface. You're right that school resource officers that were pulled out several years ago are a part of uh, that mechanism, but they're not the full mechanism. And we can talk about that broad range. But first, I want to let you know that I was a principal that um, three years ago, along with 16 others, signed a letter to the Board of Education that said, don't take the SROs out now. There were 17 SROs in our district. We said, don't do it because you don't have another plan. And when you haven't developed another plan, and you take a resource like that away, and we don't know what else to do at school sites, then it's predictable that good things are not going to be happening over time, and we're going to experience more and more challenges. And that has been what has occurred. And even since, after the shooting of my friend um, at, the, at, at East High School uh, last spring, um, we've had 13 of them replaced. Uh, there was another commitment that was made along with the replacement of those school resource officers to provide mental health workers with each one. That is not something that has ever happened, and no other actions have taken place across the district driven by our board or our superintendent to secure the safety of our schools. 
Yeah, I mean, when we look at the idea of not having a plan, I mean, to me, it is unacceptable, flatly unacceptable not to have a plan. But let's put a pin on that. Like when you say they didn't have a plan in 2020 for what to do when taking school resource officers out, what does that mean, not having a plan? Why they, They just took them out and that was it? So they just took them out and that was it. That's right. At that particular moment, there was no other response. So yeah, there are, I was asked actually about a year and a half ago uh, with a community member named Vernon Jones, who works with FaithBridge. Uh, he's the executive director of FaithBridge. We were asked to develop recommendations. Um, what do school districts do when they take SROs out of the buildings? We provided six pages of recommendations of practices across the country because we aren't the only district, but we are the only district that didn't do anything else in response. We didn't partner uh, with local community agencies and nonprofits to connect with our youth differently and more. We didn't um, reinvest the probably $2 million that had been a part of the SRO investment in mental health support um, across the district or at school sites. There was no other plan, and there are many actions that can be taken that weren't put into place. And again, when that's the case, over time, uh, things don't get better, things get worse. The the one plan that has been developed is not a plan at all. The district has talked about having an MOU now, a memorandum of understanding with the Denver Police Department relating uh, to school safety. That's essentially all they've done is created finally a job description for SROs. Now, SROs have a sense of what their job is supposed to be. It's defined, and that's great. But we need a plan that allows us to understand how our safety partners across the Denver area, including the Denver Police Department, the Denver Fire Department, uh, Denver Health, uh, Wellpower Mental Health, how is it that we work as organizations together to secure the safety of our schools to prevent bad things from happening and to respond effectively uh, when bad things do happen? Mm-hmm. We haven't taken those high-level responsibilities and drawn them into a plan for action. And, and that, that's just the first step, Jimmy. Uh, just to be clear, I, I said earlier, seven uh, school high schools have SROs. There are 13 high schools, yeah. as you mentioned, yeah. with school resource officers. Uh, briefly here, one big issue is what's called the discipline matrix, which sets up sort of the basic rules of the road for teachers and staff when enforcing discipline, when they can call police, when they can't, when they have the option to call police or must call police, when they can or can't expel, uh, whether they can act. I, I mean, I'm always staggering. I find it staggering that if there's arson on campus no matter the amount you can't call the police you can only call the fire department like that that makes no sense to me talk to me about this because i have seen harvard university get the ball punted to them to come up with a discipline (laughs) matrix plan it has not happened and then we had the superintendent alex marrero in the denver post a few months back writing basically that he wants to continue with the status quo and yet wants us to believe he's taking it seriously with Harvard. Right. The, the, the discipline matrix needs a restart. It needs to be thrown out and redesigned absolutely and completely at the beginning. Uh, when this rolled out, I was a principal. And the reality is a principal didn't know that it had rolled out. They didn't know there was a new discipline matrix. People had not told us. People had not sat down and walked us through it. People had not trained us in this effort and that work. And that's why you see confusion. And that's one of the big asks that our, that our schools and our principals have is let's redesign this thing so that it's meaningful. Right now, you're talking about being able to call the police. The principals' um, hands are tied. Even when we're talking about calling the police in significant situations, it says they need to refer to the DPS uh, climate and the safety officers. They are the people that will call the police. We've, we've begun to not trust 
uh, the work that our principals and our deans and our assistant principals are doing in, in to ensure that they are the people that are engaging the work that's most important to keep our schools safe. So that discipline matrix is one that is not in alignment with actual district policy. People have a misunderstanding that the matrix is policy. It's not it's a tool that can be changed at any time. That's why it was changed so easily three years ago and in, in, in is not supportive of the work of our people. Um, as they're doing their day-to-day -day effort and, and their day-to-day -day duty to make certain that our students safe. One of the challenges with it is it doesn't define or provide examples of the work, the best kind of work that should be done in lower level behavioral situations. What do you do and what can you do? What are the best things to do when students begin to not come to school? What if there is an escalation of some sort? What if there's a, a, a problem in a classroom that isn't really significant, but it was one that if it's not taken care of well, you're gonna see other problems developing from a student whose behavior is not being responded to um, at that kind of a level. So that work isn't defined. Um, some school people know how to do that work effectively. Some don't. Uh, the responsibility of the district, and this is work that I did as the chief academic officer in the Aurora Public Schools, is to define the best kind of work we can do for behavioral supports and implement that work along with school people and provide the support and the consultation from school district staff to make sure that the right work is doing, one, doing well effectively. And when there are issues at a school site, when there's a significant problem, um, like a student that has recently engaged in violent behavior as a significant charge against them. Um, right now, our school district's habit is to say, hey, school, go ahead and take a look at the matrix and solve for that, right? Instead of coming and sitting down and saying, this is a big one, let's work with this together and make sure that we get the right response to create safety for sure. all students and in support of that in person as well. Well, but one thing then, and we got to be brief on, the, on this point, John Youngquist, candidate for at-large mm -hmm. Denver Public Schools board seat. Um, uh, when it school sees a student who is accused of attempted murder or another serious violent crime that could put other students at risk, their hands yeah. are tied where they're not able to even find a temporary alternative option that includes maybe the kind of remote education that students were getting during COVID that was supposedly good enough back then for all kids yep. in Denver public schools or to send them to a pathway school or what have you. They're being told you got to keep your student in your school, which to me isn't quite equitable for the other students who need a safe learning environment in order to, well, learn. Yeah, it is irresponsible to put a student in that space and to subject all students to an unsafe environment based on the likelihood that there's going to be a significant behavioral problem, a significant action that takes place by a student who may not be ready to be in that context like you're talking about. The failure is with the school district that has not designed those options and doesn't make them available for our school people that are doing their best to solve, but they need the support that's not yet being provided. Final few minutes with you, John Youngquist. I want to ask you about transparency and dysfunction. We have seen a school board that went behind closed doors for an executive session and had to uh, go through a lawsuit before they finally released that. And this was an executive session that resulted in a temporary policy change, bringing back school resource officers. I go back to December of last year where there was one vote 
to not go into an executive session late at night where they got out at 11.30. It was a four-hour executive session. Uh, to me, this is a pattern, and that's just one piece of it. We also have a, a settlement agreement with one school board member that we also had, those of us in the media, just a, 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 quite a time uh, going through to get that agreement. And I could go on about that because of mistreatment for me compared to another outlet that got something that I didn't get when we both filed quarter mm. requests. Um, it is staggering to see the transparency issues, but it goes into the dysfunction of this board as well. How do you address those two issues if you are on the board? The responsibility of the board is to make public and acknowledge our biggest challenges so that we can solve them, so that we are directing, creating policy and directing a superintendent to make certain that we're moving forward in our biggest challenge areas. So transparency in regard to information in the way that we're doing work and the decisions we're making as a board is defined by state law. And we need to align with that state law, um, both in its, its written interests and in the understanding we have that our biggest problem right now is a board that we need to represent a level of integrity that hasn't been seen over the course of the last couple of years. People need to begin to trust us again. The only way to get there is to acknowledge, so to stop defending past decisions that we've made and defending personal interests that we have. And we need to open the book and let people know who we are, what we're about, what our greatest challenges are, and how we're going to solve them as a Board of Education um, and make certain that our superintendent and our school district are doing the right work in the areas that we've talked about academics, in safety, in finances, right? We haven't talked about finance. That's an area right now that is not transparent and is limiting our ability to effectively make decisions like the closure of schools. Next month, Jimmy, I guarantee you're going to see on an agenda with a brand new board, you're going to see a list of schools the district is proposing for closure. We haven't talked about that in a year, and it's not the kind of way that we can make really big, important decisions for our community. Yeah, I, I think when you're looking at school closures, there's such a significant discussion there because you have so many families that are at the mercy of what happens in that regard. That's for darn sure. Yep. Uh, John Youngquist, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I want to ask you as we wrap up to, as I ask every candidate for any office that comes yep. on this program, where could folks go to learn more about you and your campaign? And what's the final word for folks as we are now, Please. what, 10, 11 days away from Election Day? That's right. It's coming quickly. So go to Youngquist, the number four, dps.com for more information. And for me, the interest in being on this board is because I've developed, I've, I've spent decades developing the kind of experience and skills that it takes to lead schools and districts well. I am embarrassed and saddened by the state of our board and our district on a number of levels. I am optimistic that the right leadership on the board can make a difference and help us turn the corners into a successful future that our children deserve. That's my why, Jimmy. John Youngquist, if you come back, uh, or if you are elected, rather, I hope you'll come back. The incumbent has never come on this program or responded to, to requests for comment even. So I look forward to conversations down the line. Should you, in just over a month, take that seat at large on the Denver School Board? Appreciate that, Jimmy. I look forward to seeing you again. All right. Thank you, sir. John Youngquist joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. 
with a great conversation. We will continue with more great conversations, conversations with candidates for school board. We will be joined by Kimberly Sia at the top of the hour, who is running as well for the Denver board and should be joining us here in studio. Keep it right here. We'll continue the conversation. 303-696-1971. News Talk 710 KNUS. I'm with John Popper there from Blues Traveler. I'm into warmer days, but I'm looking outside and we have snowfall with a high of 31 degrees today, 28 tomorrow, snow in the forecast into tomorrow, and we haven't even really had fall yet. Welcome back to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710 KNUS. My thanks to John Youngquist, candidate for the at-large position of the Denver School Board, to replace outgoing, vacating school board member Tay Anderson. At long last, he'll be finally leaving the school board. And coming up in the next hour, we will be talking with Kimberly Sia, who's candidate for District 1 for the DPS board, and get a different take on some issues of the day. But before we wrap up this hour, let's go to Joe in Littleton, who's been patiently waiting. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Hi, Jimmy. I'm fine. Um, You know, I've been listening, and I taught almost 40 years, and I'm retired now. And so some of the things like gender, I didn't have to deal with, thank goodness. But I just, one of the things teachers have to do is they have to ask themselves, what can I do to get this child a full year's growth? And if I'm not doing that, what do I need to do to change it around? I taught where I would be able to go in and pull children out of classrooms, and just, I did reading. But I also collected all data, all scores. When I looked at these scores, I noticed a pattern over the years. Teachers who were excelling in math or teachers who were excelling in reading, if I saw that as a principal, I would say to myself, hmm, this is interesting. What can I do to get these other teachers to follow those teachers? And without hurt feelings, I suggested, well, why don't we record these teachers over the years? Then they can go in and pull that out of the library, how to get these kids to get those math facts quickly. And I had a kindergarten teacher in one room that these kids were reading like crazy. The other room, no, not so much. There's also principals have to go into the classrooms. I would see teachers sitting behind the desk doing crafts. I would see teachers that um, would fall asleep while they're reading to children. These principals have to be in there more than once or twice a year. Also, I think that I always told my parents, you come in anytime you want, unannounced, announced, whatever. I never hid that because I taught the children. But another thing is I had a principal tell me once, and and it broke my heart. She said, you can't just love these children. Well, no, we do focus on academics. But I'll tell you what, I never once sent a child to the principal's office. Because if you get them to fall in love with you, they will work. They'll work their tail ends off for you. Did I have some discipline problems? Yeah. I'd say, hey, you need to come over here a timeout for a minute. But they wanted to come back to the group. Yeah. 
Because if you are if you are that teacher that has that welcoming classroom, yeah. and you are the teacher that they can trust and go to and confide in, then that means that they're going to be more yeah. have a greater desire to show yeah. you that they can achieve. I think that's a powerful point from your many years of experience as a teacher, Joe. Thank you so much for calling in this morning. Really appreciate right. it. Stay warm. You as well. Stay <laughs> warm indeed. All right. Bye. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, she's in studio. We'll talk with Kimberly Sia running for the Denver School Board. And we'll continue the conversation as the snow falls. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710 KNUS. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 